Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on June 4th, 2023. I'm a little worried about today because I've got a serious message and it just doesn't really fit the stage, but I'm uh, going to have to overlook that. You, you, you do notice we're making a big deal about Vacation Bible School and I really hope that you will come because it will be a slam dunk that you will enjoy it and you will be able to follow more about God. So I do encourage you to come, um, and all of it's going to be fun, but it's a very serious purpose. We're teaching preschoolers, children, teenagers, and adults what it means to follow Jesus. I've spent a lot of time in Luke's gospel because I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know who he is, what he did, how he lived, how he died, what his gospel is, and what he wants from us. I want you to believe in him, accept his love, and follow him. Because the reality in today's world, we are inundated by all kinds of other messages. We're inundated with news and sports and entertainment and politics and philosophy and opinions right and left. And even many churches are preaching more politics than gospel of Jesus. We need a healthy dose of Jesus regularly and constantly if we are going to have our spirits healthy and to keep our eyes focused on what is right and good as followers of Jesus. And today's passage brings us to the high point of Jesus's ministry. What we're going to read today focuses on the 12 hours before he went to the cross. Focuses on his prayer in the garden, his arrest, and his beating late on Thursday night of Holy Week. Even if you don't know the full story of Jesus, then this part dramatically reveals who Jesus is. And I want you to know that. So pay more attention than normal as we focused on the last 12 hours of Jesus on the way to the cross. It's in Luke chapter 22. We're going to read verses 39 through 65. Let's stand together as we read this. Luke 22, here's how it reads. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, 
and the elders who had come for him. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. You may be seated. Even a casual reading shows us the magnitude of events and the depth of emotion that occurred with Jesus and the disciples that evening. 33 years of Jesus's life had led to the prime reason why Jesus came to earth, to die on a cross as a sacrifice for all who believe in him, offering eternal life to you and to me and to millions of believers from every nation on earth. Even a casual reading tells you those things. But I want us to go a little deeper than a casual reading. So I want you to think about what this does tell us about Jesus. It shows Jesus, number one, as the willing redeemer. Verse 39 gives details that Luke had not yet mentioned. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Earlier in the day, he had hid their whereabouts. You remember what we read last week, he even used a signal, follow a man carrying a jar of water. And that signal was known only to a few of his disciples. But now his work is done. There's no more hiding from Judas. There's no more hiding from the Jews. Jesus knew what was coming, and he, so he went on with his usual routine. He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be killed. He was saying, in essence, by returning to his routine, here I am. Come and get me. And they did. He was willing. We've seen, as we've read through Luke, that Jesus knew that Jerusalem was dangerous. He had been counseled not to come. He did anyway. And he did it because he was a willing sacrifice. Don't think of what happened on the cross as a tragedy of history. This is not the story of a brilliant man being killed in his prime. This was Jesus willingly offering himself. Because he loved me because he loved you and so this passage shows that Jesus was a willing redeemer 
all from a human perspective, is a horrible tragedy. Killed the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. But from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, that's why he came. That was his purpose. That was his prime reason. And so we see even in this passage, Jesus, the willing Redeemer. And verse 39, by the way, adds, and his disciples followed him. Now, later that night, they would flee in panic, but here they willingly and bravely followed him. They knew Judas was not with them, the only one of the 12 who was not there. So they were smart enough to figure out he will be the one to betray us. He knows where we are going. They went anyway. And that's the nature of following Jesus. He will lead us to days of great victory. He will also lead us into tough times. He decides. We follow. He's the Lord. We're the disciples. And though we often point out their cowardice later that night, I do want you to see their bravery. Where Jesus goes, we will go even in the tough times. Jesus is the willing redeemer. Also, we see this night Jesus being the encourager. Now, understand what was happening here. He was about to be arrested. Judas was on the way with the temple guards. He was less than 12 hours from the cross, and Jesus needed to pray, but his heart was still on the disciples. Men, times are about to get tough. Need to pray. When many of us would have been focused just on me, he was focused on his disciples. And then he went and he prayed, and then he came back. Men, wake up. You're about to fall under horrible temptation. Now is the time to pray. And that's the heart of Jesus. He focuses on us. I mean, think about it. He's running a universe. He's got disasters right and left, people turning away from him, wars and violence everywhere you look, which should normally keep Jesus far more than occupied. But he still focuses on his disciples. He focuses on us. He cares about us. He's interested in us. You see that even that night. While horrible disaster from a human perspective was about to fall him, He's looking at his disciples. Hey, men, I care about you. If you haven't learned yet, you need, you need to learn to pray. I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. I want to make sure you're strong. And so we see Jesus, the encourager. And Jesus still does that to us. Are you listening to him? Because he's on your side. He wants what is best for you. Yes, he will lead you into tough times, but he will be there with you. As you go through them. And then we see number three, Jesus the prayer. What I think I read to you was the greatest prayer in the Bible. It reveals Jesus and it also teaches us how to pray. Listen again. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
That is undoubtedly the best prayer in the Bible, the greatest prayer in the Bible. And I want you to notice the elements of it so you can see how Jesus prayed and you can learn how to pray. First of all, the first thing Jesus did was he prayed alone. Now, the Bible teaches two kinds of prayer. There's prayer just you and God, and there's prayer as part of a group, and I believe that we should be involved in both. But real prayer begins with just two, me and God. Your individual prayer life may be the greatest indicator of your spiritual life. Jesus prayed all the time, early in the morning, late at night, with his disciples, and often just he and God. And so notice that. Intense prayer needed, just him and God. And then the next thing it says, he humbly knelt. In Jesus' day, the custom for Jewish men was to pray standing with holy hands held high. Remember the Pharisees did that because they were calling attention to themselves. But that was the custom. Jesus instead took on an attitude and even a posture of worship and humility. He knelt. I'm not going to demonstrate it because then I'd have to get up and Jesus was younger than me. But he knelt. An attitude of worship and prayer and humility. We also see Jesus' honesty. I mean, in essence, here's what he's saying. From a human perspective, God, I don't really want to go through this. I'm going to have to endure the pain of the nails and the humility of being naked on a cross for everybody to see laughing at me. We see his honesty, but we also see his obedience. Nevertheless, I will do what you want me to do. And then we see God's response. Jesus, I'm not going to take this away from you, but I will strengthen you. And God sent him an angel. And then we see his absolute intensity. Sweat, dripping like blood. Listen, that's real prayer. Too often we are just formal. We say the words without hardly a thought. This prayer is real. And it shows Jesus' humanity. Much of what we studied in Luke shows his divinity, that he is God, his miracles, his casting out of demons, the incredible things that he did. But this shows his human heart. It was real. It was from the heart. And it shows us how we should pray with humility, with honesty, with obedience, and with intensity. If you can learn, and I can learn, to pray like that, there's no end to what God can do in our lives. So we see Jesus the prayer, and then we see, number four, Jesus the truth teller. Twice in this passage we hear Jesus speaking truth. It was honest, it was convicting, and it cut to the heart of what needed to be said without any embellishment or any softening to Judas. Are you really betraying me with a kiss, a token of affection? To the crowd of chief priests, elders, and guards. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You saw me all day long and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. When darkness reigns, Jesus spoke as he always did, un 
varnished truth, neither hardened or softened or shaded. And in both cases, it was very convicting and painful. When I studied this, I thought this. What unvarnished truth would Jesus want to say to Jack? Jack, here's what you need to hear. Listen, as a pastor, I receive both a lot of praise and a lot of criticism. It kind of goes with the calling. What I really need is honesty from Jesus. So if you dare, ask Jesus. I'm listening, Jesus. What do you want to tell me? And then listen and see how God responds. Because we get all matter of opinion from other people. What you and I need is the real truth from Jesus himself. And he gave it. Number five, we see Jesus, the healer. Actually, the story of him healing a man who had his ear cut off, he was doing two things. He was showing real compassion on a man, a servant of the high priest, that his own disciple had wounded. Even in the midst of turmoil, while being arrested, you still see his nature. Compassion even to his enemies. The same thing he's taught us. And he was also teaching the disciples, listen, my gospel does not advance through violence and fighting. The war we are in is not of this world. We fight in the power of the Holy Spirit and not with the sword. Listen, and I hope you know this about yourself. It is very easy to appear to be nice and kind and compassionate and loving in good times. It's when things are going wrong that the real me comes out. And for Jesus, you see that. Late at night, exhausted, when an armed crowd came to get him and his disciples were fired up and swords were being drawn and fights were starting, Jesus still acted with love and compassion. That's who I want to be. I'm not there yet. That's who I want to be. Because it's easy to be kind and loving and compassionate and gentle with people when everything's going your way. But the real us comes out when things go wrong. And so here you see the real Jesus. Even in the midst of this horrible evening, he was still kind and compassionate and healing. And then in the episode with Jesus and Peter, we see what I believe is Jesus the lover. Bold and arrogant, Peter had promised to follow Jesus, even to the death. Those were great words, but he failed the test three times. And as soon as he denied Jesus the third time, verse 61 says, the Lord turned and looked directly at Peter. What was in that look? I don't believe it was, I told you so, because there was nothing petty in Jesus. I don't believe it was anger. Jesus didn't hold a grudge. 
Jesus' eyes, and I wish I could have seen them, must have been incredibly expressive. I believe it was a look of both honesty and compassion. You failed me, Peter, but I still love you. And in his shame then, Peter went out and cried bitterly. Now listen, the rest of the story confirms Jesus' ongoing love, forgiveness, and compassion for Peter. Mark tells us that when Jesus rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday morning, an angel told the women right up front, hey, go tell my disciples and Peter, specifically mentioned, and Peter. I want Peter to know that I am alive. We don't know the details, and I wish I did, but Luke 24, 34 says that Jesus appeared directly to Peter on that first Sunday morning. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Gospels don't tell us about that conversation, but it was just Jesus and Peter, the risen Savior, loving, forgiving, probably Peter confessing and admitting his shame, but Jesus confirming I still love you. You're still my disciple. I will forgive you. Peter, I'm going to work through you and do great things in your life. That's what God's love, when it's correctly understood, does to people. He forgives us, he loves us, and he moves us forward. Peter learned what a man by the name of Tim Keller, by the way, a long-term pastor who went home to be with the Lord this week. You may have read some of his books. But here's how he often defined the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Peter learned both of them. He was not the great bold, boastful, arrogant, strong man of God that he saw himself to be. He was deeply flawed. But Jesus' love was far more incredible than anything he had ever dared to hope. I hope you and I can receive that same look from Jesus. Jack, you've been a sinner and a fool. But I love you deeply. You've done wrong. You've not been the man of God that I wanted you to be. Not yet, anyway. But I still love you deeply. I think that was in the look of Jesus. And Peter received it. I hope you can receive it as well. You're not the great man or woman that you think you are. But I still love you. And I will forgive you. And I will work in your life. And then finally, we see Jesus, the patient sufferer. The end of the passage even before his trials, they blindfolded Jesus. And then as they circled around him, various would slap him, hit him, slug him. And then, hey, you're a prophet. Tell us which one hit you. That's the ugly nature of mankind apart from God. We like to think of human beings as being mostly good, Especially, we like to think of the USA as being a good nation full of good people. But we see evil every day. 
violence in the streets, violence in the homes, violence in the schools, hatred, racism, anger, insults. 2,000 years later, the nature of mankind has not changed. Apart from God, we are an evil people. And it's never really that far from the surface. But despite the evil, Jesus suffered patiently. Now, you and I would have no choice but to suffer patiently. Handcuffed, maybe shackled, blindfolded, people hitting us. There's nothing we could do. But Jesus, if he wanted, could have done something. He was God. He could have broken the shackles. He could have broken the handcuffs. He could have called down the fire from heaven. But he didn't. Because he endured patiently because he knew what men were like and he still loved us. And he endured patiently because he was about to do what he came to do. Let them continue to insult him, laugh at him, nail him to a cross so he could die, so that he could offer, the Son of God could offer eternal life, everlasting life to you and to me. And so again, we see the nature of God, of God willing to suffer. That's how deep his love is, his love for you and I. Now, listen, what does this mean for us? In light of what I've told you about Jesus, I want to ask you to do three things. Number one, I want you to decide to follow Jesus. I don't mean in name only. I don't mean I'll occasionally come to church. I don't mean, okay, I'll check the box that says I'm a Christian. I mean, follow him all the way as one of his disciples. All I can do is give you the facts and the truth about Jesus. But I can't make that decision for you. It's a decision you have to make. That's who I am. I am at my heart more than anything else a follower of Jesus. Too often, we, we kind of take the, the lowest common denominator of the faith. I'll say I'm a Christian if forced to, and I'll go to church when it's convenient. Maybe even I'll give a little bit of money to the church, and therefore I'm a Christian. It's not at all what Jesus asked for. But sometimes he calls us to be like his disciples, to move forward into danger open our mouths when we know it's going to get us in trouble. To do so with love and kindness and compassion, but also with honesty. There is a God. He is real. He loves me. He died for me. I will follow him. So understand what I'm asking you to do. Wholeheartedly, with no holding back, follow Jesus. Number two, I want to encourage you to learn to pray like Jesus. If you want to grow as a disciple, If you want to grow as a disciple, if you want to grow as a disciple, you must learn to pray like Jesus. I don't mean praying publicly in church. Some of you can do that, some of you can't. That doesn't really matter. I mean, when it's just you and God, to pour out your heart with honesty and humility and obedience and intensity. There have only been a few times in my life only been a few times in my life when I was praying so intensely 
that I lost complete control of anything going on around me. Didn't even know what was going on. Only a few times. I want to tell you one of them. Early on in my marriage, we were having serious trouble. Don and I were separated. I was praying. She was praying. We went to church on a Sunday night. Pastor Ron Hart, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Tucson, Arizona, was preaching on the role, which I thought was God knew, the role of a husband and wife. I don't remember what he said, really. But God got a hold of me. And I went forward at the end of the service and I knelt at the altar and I prayed. And I prayed. And I lost complete awareness of what was going on around me. Ron went on and concluded the worship service. I'm still there praying. And when I finally said, Amen, Pastor Ron, already having dismissed the church and talked to some people, came back up and prayed with me. And when I finally opened my eyes, I looked over and I saw that my wife was there beside me praying. I had no clue that she was there or that she would do that. It was one of those moments of intense prayer where God, do something in our marriage, in our family. We had no kids yet. Had no clue that I would have nine. Maybe I would have run out the back door at the time. I don't know. (laughs) But God, do something. It was the most intense prayer, I think, to that point in my life, and I've only had a few since then, but God did something. Learn to pray like Jesus. Learn to pray like Jesus. And God answers. And then number three, choose your character to be like Jesus. Learn from Peter. He had been a disciple for three years. Spent almost all that time, day after day, with Jesus. He was part of the inner circle, one of the three closest to Jesus. He saw himself, and apparently the other disciples saw him as the leader of the group. And he learned he still had to grow and change. So do I. And so do you. And so it starts with the desire. More than anything else, I want to be like Jesus. That's a choice. It's still going to take a whole lot of work beyond that and a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of Bible study and a whole lot of service and a whole lot of practice. And there'll be some failures along the way. And you'll have to go back and repent and admit and confess. But it's got to start with a desire. Do you have that more than anything else in my life? I want to be like Jesus. That's the choice you got to make. And that's the choice I'm, I'm challenging you to make today. Decide to follow Jesus. Learn to pray like Jesus. And then choose that your character, your love, your compassion, good times and in tough times, will be like Jesus. I want you to pray about these things. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.